Amen. Please be seated. As you're doing so, I do invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4. As you're turning there this morning, I was asked prior to the Sunday school hour, now, Pastor, do you have a Valentine's Day sermon ready to go for us today? Well, in God's providence, in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19, the major theme is fiery trials reveal our character. So I will let you conclude what you will from that <laughs> and answer that question. I know this morning we're going to be looking at 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19, as we continue our study through this wonderful book. You can find this text on the insert inside your bulletin with a brief outline of today's message. And we are nearing the end of 1 Peter. As we saw the last time I was in the pulpit, um, Peter knows as time is getting shorter and shorter. If you remember, they're writing on paper, which is very precious and dear. And so he can see the white space that's left. And he's saying, what can I fit in this space? What is most important? What is most vital? What must I convey to the people? And so this morning, we will see that in one of his final sections, he's going to once again talk about the topic of suffering, a, a topic that has been a, a major theme to this book and one of the major reasons that Peter wrote it. In fact, that's the reason we titled this series, Hope for Living Faithfully During Trying Times, recognizing that we today, much like the early church, will face trying times. And because we will face these times, we need hope. We need hope to be faithful during them. I think back to the beginning of Peter's message in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says these words in 14 to 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance. But as he who calls you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And so Peter really has focused on this topic of holiness and our character and godliness in our lives. And then with the application of that will affect everything that comes into our life. Whether it's conflict, whether that's change, whether that's growth, positively or negatively, we will be shaped inwardly by our holiness or our Christian character, which will then affect outwardly everything around us. And so one last time, Peter comes to this topic of suffering with these goals in mind for the sake of the church. And it's with that I invite you to follow along with me this morning as we read from God's word this message of hope. I will begin in verse 12 of chapter 4 and read to the end of this chapter. Please follow along with me. Beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 
But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Would you please once again go with me to the Lord in prayer as we thank him for his time and ask his presence to be upon us. Dear Heavenly Father, you have told us in your word that if you, through your spirit, do not open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts this day, these words will fall on deaf ears and blind eyes and closed hearts. And so my prayer for this congregation, my desire for them and for myself this morning is that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would open us, open us to receive these words and to receive these truths and to take this message to heart. Lord, help your people, for we are a suffering people as we face many trials and endure much conflict. We need the hope of the gospel. We need your teaching to grow our character and to make us more and more after your own image. I pray these things trusting, O God, that you will hear this prayer and that you will answer it according to your will and the blessing of your people. And I pray all of this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Recently, I have decided to get into a new hobby. Um, not really a new hobby per se, but picking up of an old one. Um, growing up in the deep south, uh, hunting was a way of life for many of us. Particularly, um, archery was a joy of my family and of myself. But one time, my father was one of the best archers in the state of Mississippi with a compound bow, competing competitions, and he shared that love with us as sons. And I've decided that I need to pick back up some of these things that I've let go to the side over the years. And this time I've decided that my entrance back into this world will not be with the compound bow with all of its mechanics and knobs and adjustments and turns, but I will go back to the basics. And I'm going to learn traditional archery, a skill I've not acquired in this lifetime and may not yet. But traditional archery, if you're not familiar with it, requires really one thing. Consistency. Precise consistency. Because you have no aiming method and because there are no mechanics to give you relief from improper form, you have to do the same thing the same way every time. Your arm has to be the same setup every time. You have to hold the string the same way every time. You have to place your hand on your face the same distance from the other arm the same way every time. You have to let go of the string the same way every time. 
And then eventually, you get to a place where you can consistently hit a target. And if you look it up and you research this, most archers, most uh, hunters of this um, practice say it takes about a thousand arrows to get to the beginner stage. So about a thousand arrows will get you to the beginner stage where you even have a conception of what this looks like. And then you can start learning the discipline and then you can apply it in hunting situations. I like this as an analogy this morning because much like traditional archery, our character who we are and how we respond in certain situations when obstacles come and when resistance comes, it takes perfect repetition. It, to live a Christian life, to live a holy life in this world takes perfect repetition. It takes responding with that godly thought and it takes maybe not responding when the harassment comes or the obstacle comes or the unkind word comes. It, it takes thinking and applying the truth that we've been studying the same way over and over again. And, and, and to some, it, unfortunately, the only solution, the only way to get there is through practice. Is through practice. And so in God's providence, God knows this and he says, well, I'm going to make sure you practice. Whether you want it or not, you're going to practice because you need to get there through my grace, by the power of my spirit. And Peter knows this. Peter is writing to a church who knows the need for Christian character. We've seen this all throughout this book. And we'll see that as we continue in 2 Peter. And so Peter writes this morning, knowing our tendencies, understanding our need for opportunities for growth. He gives us four ways in which we can have our character challenged or four opportunities to grow amidst conflict, struggle, suffering, trials. He says, first and foremost, we are called to display joy in times of suffering. We find this in verses 12 to 13. So our character is challenged in suffering and the right action or reaction is joy. Secondly, God calls us to display blessing in times of insult. And so our character is challenged in times of insult. And the right response is blessing. Thirdly, we're called by God to glorify Him when we're falsely accused. So accusations will come. And we're told when those come that we should respond by glorifying God. We find that in 15 and 16. And then lastly, God calls us to trust Him when judgment comes. Judgment will come. We will face judgment. And the right response out of a godly character is trust. And we find that in the final verses. So four opportunities, four ways in which we will be challenged to grow in our character. All to our benefit and blessing. So this morning, would you please follow along with me in our text as we learn these important, vital truths for each of our lives, beginning with joy through suffering. Peter has spoken a great deal about suffering through this book, and you have to think back to the original audience. We've spoken of them 
um, often from the pulpit and in many different ways. He's writing to a collection of dispersed churches in Asia Minor, groups of people that have been scattered, that have been cast out of their homes, cast out of their societal ways of living and, and scattered abroad for their faith, for what they believe. They were enduring suffering to such degrees of hardship that some of them were even being put to death. And so we're not talking just mild levels of mockery or, or being put down. We're, we're talking physical death for what they were believing, what they were teaching, what they were living out. And you might would expect if we were looking at this from a worldly perspective, Peter to say something like this, when suffering comes, get even when you can. Or the other direction, hide from anyone who seeks to do you harm. It's best just to avoid conflict at all costs. But Peter does not do that. Rather, Peter actually says something quite unusual, at least from a worldly standpoint. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. And so when suffering comes, this is an opportunity to respond in joy and in gladness. It is an opportunity to grow in our character. And let me again just add real quickly here. Peter loves uh, this term uh, for the church, beloved. Peter is writing to a group of people he cares about deeply. It's a group of people he knows. He knows their struggles. This is not someone writing to people he's not interested in. He's not aware of what's going on in their lives. Peter is intimately evolved with the churches and what's going on in the churches. And so he writes out of a sense of love and care. And he says to those that he loves and he cares about, trials are coming. Trials are going to test your life. And that has a greater degree of weight because of who it's coming from, doesn't it? Peter, out of all of the disciples, understood that God brings trials into our lives to test our character. Consider Peter during the storm at the sea when Jesus calls him out upon the water. Or consider Peter in the garden of Gethsemane. When the soldiers come and Peter, quicker than anyone else, grabs his sword and lashes out and um, actually, due to a poor aim, takes the ear of a soldier. Peter quite often was given the opportunity to display his Christ-like character. And to our benefit and, and poor unfortunate Peter, he is much often given as the negative example. He is quite often given to us as, and that's not what you should do. But Peter tells the church with that background, with that knowledge, knowing who he is and what he's come through in his life, we must display joy in the midst of suffering. And there's going to be a major theme through this passage, and I'll, I'll start explaining it now and we'll continue through. But we've got to be very careful here because Peter's saying display joy in times of trials and in times of suffering. We have to make a difference in the types of trials that we're facing. 
there are essentially two types of trials and two types of sufferings. The one type of trial is a trial from God. It is an opportunity to reveal our character. It is an opportunity to show who we are and what we believe. It is, you almost could think of it as a positive trial. It's a trial to show what you know and to grow in who you are. But then there's another type of trial. We could almost more accurately use the word temptation that comes either from our own sinful nature, it comes from the desires of this world, or it comes from the devil himself. These type of trials are to entice us to sin. We need to be very clear here that, that we don't fall into heresy um, and say that God puts upon us these types of trials. James says it. He says it very bluntly in one thir- James 1.13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Temptation to sin comes from our own desires, the wickedness of this world, or the devil. And much more should be said on this point, and it will as we continue in this passage. But I want us just to be careful. We're to display joy in times of trials. We need to make sure we're taking joy for the right thing and the right reason. And again, we'll we'll continue thinking about that. I'm I'm not going to leave you hanging long on that thought. But Peter says... In light of this, don't be surprised. Rather rejoice. Take joy. Be glad. And a, a right response to this, a, a right reaction from us would go, Why, Peter? You're telling me to be joyful when trials come upon my life. Difficult moments, difficult seasons that, that will reveal my character and display how I need to grow. Why would you say that? That does not sound fun. That does not sound like something I want in my life. And Peter gives two reasons. He, he, he knows that that's going on in, in our thoughts. He understands that that was likely the thought in the early church. And he says two things. One, the reason you should rejoice when you face trials is you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ when you do so. You, as a Christian... When you face trials, are sharing in Christ's suffering. Now, what does that mean? Well, how did Christ suffer? Christ suffered because of who he was, who he claimed to be, and what he taught. And so when we as Christians suffer, if we're suffering for righteousness' sake, why are we suffering? Because of who we are, who we claim to be, and what we teach according to Christ. The only difference is Christ was speaking of himself and we're speaking of him. And so we're sharing in his suffering. We're suffering in the same way. It's a likewise. Likewise as you suffer, you suffer like your Savior. And in that, even to be numbered amongst him and amongst his suffering should cause us joy in our lives. But then the second reason we should rejoice is that God's glory will be revealed. God's glory will be revealed. Now, how is God's glory revealed? How does this create joy and gladness in our lives? It does a few ways. One, when a sinner repents. When a a sinner, an unbeliever, turns from their sin and walks with God. And that may come through our enduring of suffering. That may come through our walking through trials. 
by God's grace, we can be the instrument by which he uses to draw a sinner to himself. And in that, we should take joy. God's glory is also revealed, though, when we endure trials. When we endure suffering. Maybe unto the end. Maybe unto our death. But as we endure through his power, through his strength, and we don't fall to the temptations of this world, we don't give in to the desires of our flesh, we don't give in to the enticements of the devil, God is glorified. Again, much like our Savior. He was faced with all sorts of temptations, much like us, and yet he was without sin. And so we are acting like our Savior when we endure and God is glorified. And so these are the ways in which we should, are reasons why we should display joy in times of suffering. One, it models us after Christ and his suffering. And two, it glorifies God. Having seen our first opportunity to display our character, joy in times of suffering, let's look at the second. And all these are really closely related. Verse 14 tells us that we're called to display blessing through times of insult. Uh, to put it plainly, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now notice here that the, the word choice is rather interesting. He does not say when you are insulted for the name of Christ. You would think that he would have chosen the word when, not if. But again, like I said, Peter is making a distinction in this section between suffering and trials that come for the name of Christ and suffering and trials that come from our own desires. And I, believe, I really do believe that's what Peter is saying here. Not to say that you won't be insulted for the name of Christ, but if you're insulted for the name of Christ, as opposed to if you are insulted due to your own stupidity. Like, that's really what he's trying to combat here. You, there's insulting because you deserve it, and it's your fault. And there's insulting because you stand for the name of Christ. Now, I do want to pause just a second before we continue this verse. This is very hard for us who live in a Western mindset because we have been raised and we have been taught to avoid pain, suffering, conflict, difficulty, hardship at all cost. The, the, the whole idea of the American dream is to we build up, stockpile up, prepare enough to keep us from anything that might hurt us or make us uncomfortable. That's an overcharacterization of it, but there is a lot of that in there, isn't it? There, there's this, I'm going to take care of myself so I can take care of myself. That is not necessarily what we see in the early church. That is not necessarily what we see in the Old Testament and throughout um, the days of Israel. Peter is saying, instead of do what you can to avoid these things, lean in to them. Be excited about them. Look forward to them when they come. Share who you are and what you believe. Do so boldly because it's a blessing from God when you are rebuked, when you are mocked. Why? 
because the spirit and glory of God rest upon you. Brothers and sisters, if you are here today and you are saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you are trusting in him for the forgiveness of your sins. You are a member of the kingdom of God. You are called a son and daughter of the Most High, a royal priesthood. Your identity in God is something remarkable, to be perfectly honest. Don't hide it. Don't put that away. Don't be uh, afraid of revealing that to others. We must feel the, the weight here of what's going on. We should gladly, we should with joy proclaim the name of Christ, knowing that this Holy Spirit is with us. We're not alone in this. And, and, and we must feel the, the weight of this here. I will be perfectly honest. I'm not, I'm not telling you this from a, from a state of um, look at your pastor and do like he says. There are many times in my life, and I can think of one example in particular, where when someone asks me what I do, it's amazing how you can say you're a pastor without saying you're a pastor. There's a lot of ways to do it. And it, it almost always happens to me when I'm getting a haircut. One, I don't like talking during haircuts. Anyway, I don't want to do it. I, I, it just, it may, it, I feel awkward. I don't want to talk. But if you're cutting my hair and you ask me what I do, I will go out of my way to explain that I communicate with people on effectively truth that they need to hear to change their life and better uh, their stand. I've got it down. Why? Well, there's two reasons. One, I don't want to get in a debate. It would, because often when you tell someone you're a Christian or you're a pastor, well, what do you mean by that? Why do you believe this? Why do you believe that? I don't want to do that in that moment. But then I'm also, I'm really afraid of them just giving me one of those reverse mohawks as they, I say something like, what do you mean? And it's like, oh no, you can't do that. There, it's gone now. That would have been a rather silly reason to be afraid of sharing the name of Christ. But I do it. I'm not telling you this from a state of you need to go and be like me. In fact, I, I'd rather tell you to go and be like the people that Peter's writing to. Because they're not afraid of their barber. They're dying. They've lost their homes. They've lost their jobs. They've lost their land. They've lost their livelihood. They are being oppressed physically. They're being oppressed spiritually. They're being oppressed theologically. And Peter's telling them, you go proclaim the name of Christ and take what comes. He's not telling them, don't worry about it. It's okay. You may get mocked for it. He's saying, you may die. But it is a blessing, even if it comes to that, and even if you die, because you died proclaiming the name of Jesus. Now, I, I say all of this and again, I, I do this with complete honesty. That's not always going to go well for you. It's not always going to work out. You're not always going to get that conversation. Oh, how wonderful you're a Christian. Let's talk about Christ and the blessings that there are and following him and believing him and walking with him. What a delight that we get to have this conversation together. Rarely have I gotten that response from anyone. Much more often, I find that we are insulted, and as 15 and 16 tells us, we are accused. Let's consider that even when that happens, even in those circumstances, we simply are to glorify God even more. 
Again, Peter's saying, lean in. And before we look at 15 and 16, I again want to impress upon you this dichotomy in types of suffering. This, this idea that there are sinful actions which lead to judgment or punishment that we rightly deserve. I, my mind goes to um, the story of David in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 16. Um, Absalom has taken over. David is kicked out of his own kingdom. He's leaving the town. And there's this man, Shimei, who gets up on a wall and he picks up a pile of rocks and he's got a rock in each hand and he's pelting David and the mighty men, the mighty men who are known for slaying lions and killing so many people that their swords welded to their hands, that they battle well wielded ferocious battles for God and for his kingdom and for King David. And they're getting hit with rocks on this wall. And, and one of them looks to David and says, David, this is an insult to you. This is an insult to us. Let us put an end to it, knowing they have the ability to do so. But listen to what David says. 2 Samuel 16, verse 11. Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite... Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to do so. Why was David in this circumstance? Because he sinned greatly before God. He sinned openly before his people. He took someone who was not his wife. He killed one of his best friends. He had a child with her. He covered it up. And so David responds, I did this. My sin caused this to happen to me. I am suffering because I deserve it. And so we need to be very careful here, dear Christian. It would be very wrong to, to apply this passage to something like this. And David to respond, praise God for the suffering that's upon me. For I'm suffering for his name. You are suffering for his name, but it's out of his name in judgment. Not out of his name of you standing boldly for him. But in our passage... Peter makes this even makes this really clear. He says in verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. If you suffer in these ways, you deserve it for you have sinned. Don't be known for these things. Rather, or yet, going on to verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian or for Christ, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. We should shout from the mountaintops when we're suffering for the name of Christ. We should tell others, look at how I am being oppressed because of the gospel and my Savior. We should want to show that with others and share that with others. Let him not be shamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Listening to a sermon this week, um, R.C. Sproul's um, I've been listening through his sermon series on the book of Acts. And he's gotten to the point with the stoning of Stephen. And he comments this line that, that's known all throughout Christian history. The blood of the martyrs grows the church. The blood of the martyrs grows the church. Suffering for the sake of Christ has been responsible for more church growth in Christian history than just about any other event. When the church is persecuted, the people are refined, reformed, and rejuvenated. 
Here's a hard thing to say. May we as the church all pray for opportunities to glorify God in that way. Which is really saying, God, may you allow suffering to come upon us as the church so we would have the chance to glorify you through it. And I know, and I, I, I promise you, I get it better than most. Asking that of you is much like telling you to pray for patience. And if you don't get the humor in what that is, go read Romans 5. Come talk to me later. You can come see us tonight or you can come talk to me this week. Patience comes through trials. So when you ask God, God make me patient, he's going to give you trials that you have to be patient in. Much in the same way, when you say, hey God, give me opportunities to glorify you, he's going to go, okay, here's some suffering, glorify me. But we need this, O oh church. It is during the times of trials and sufferings that we give the opportunity to grow and develop into better believers. It's during these times we learn to better trust our God. And Peter concludes with that very thought. During times of trials and sufferings, we should trust God because judgment is coming. And quickly, he concludes his discussion of suffering by reminding the church judgment is upon it. Judgment is coming for the defense Judgment is coming and the defense we have in it is to trust God. He says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly? The word judgment is a scary word. And it is a scary word, especially for those outside the household of faith. But what does it look like for the Christian? What does it look like for the believer? Well, the Bible says God has cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says that when God looks upon us, he does not see our sin, our shortcomings, or our failures. The Bible promises us today that when he looks upon a sinner such as Aaron Suber, he sees someone covered. By the blood of Christ. And I have full confidence. That on the day of judgment. While, while I will be weeping and bowing my head. And, and in sorrow and sadness over the wasting of my life. And the talents that God has given me. And the opportunities that I did not take for his name. And those times I was scared to share the name of Christ. For fear of consequence. Even despite all of that. On the day of judgment, as a child of God, he's going to say, welcome, faithful son, enter into my kingdom. Surely not because of anything I did, but because of his son, Christ. We will not escape judgment, O church, but for us, judgment will be joy. It will be a reason to celebrate and to be glad and to praise God and to lift up the name of Christ. But that will not be the case for everyone. Peter says, if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will happen to the ungodly? They will stand in that same spot and they will be found wanting. Their good works will be found not enough. Their attempts to please God and to earn his favor will be found not enough. 
They have blasphemed the holy God. They have sinned against their creator and their savior. They have rejected his plan of salvation. And for them, judgment will be an eternity of realizing that. Will be an eternity of God's presence of wrath upon them. As they realize that over and over and over again. Oh, what a message for us today, dear church. We need this. The world needs this. Peter's final words charges us to go out and to share this message that we've heard today. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while, notice that word there, while doing good. Share the gospel. Live holy lives, despite what the world throws at us. Why? Because we are entrusted to a faithful creator, a holy God, a God who loves his people and cares for them. According to my math, I've got about 970 arrows to go before I'm an amateur in traditional archery. If those all are proficient. I don't know where I'm at on my list of trials. But I'll probably learn archery before I cover my trials. But I praise God that he does know that number. Nope, you're not there yet, Aaron. Nope, not yet. Nope, you need some more. Nope, you got to do some more. We're going to keep working it. And praise God that he does. Because each and every time a trial comes upon us, we're given an opportunity to praise him promote the name of Christ, to rejoice and be glad, to lift up him and to say judgment is coming. For me, it is an act of joy. And out of heartache of the gospel, we look to all others and go, you don't want to be in that place when it comes. And so as we see trials and sufferings, we are compelled to go out to the world and to share the good news of this gospel message. Would you please bow with me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that not only do you number the hairs upon our heads, you know our days and count them even before we are born. You've intricately knit us together in our mother's wombs. You know what we need. You know the, the, the trials that need to come upon our lives to test us, to grow us, to challenge us, to cause us to trust in you, to proclaim your name with joy, to cling to the gospel. Power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we do look forward to the final days. We do look forward for the day to come, the day of judgment. For those inside the church, it will be a day of great joy, a day of forgiveness. The day of an eternal awakening in your presence. But I do pray for those, and maybe there are those here today that do not yet trust in you. May they feel the weight of that judgment is coming. For they have no reason to hope in face of suffering. They have no reason to be blessed in times of insult. They have no opportunity to praise your name when they are accused. For they stand condemned. But they are not without hope. For you have sent your son. To live 
to die, to rise again, to offer himself as a sacrifice for all those who believe. You've promised they will be saved. Keep working on us, Lord. We're not there yet. By your grace, we will be. We pray all of this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.